Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 465 on Tuesday, the 5th of April, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where everyone realises the petrol retailers haven't passed on the cut from the government as literally everyone said they wouldn't, we'll be talking about boats and grown-up OEMs. We find out who is in which seat after the latest round of car industry musical chairs. And we find out which location has gone photo shy. But first, a smidgen of follow-up. First time in a few weeks, actually. Mm. Now, a while ago, we did say that Sanyong had found a new owner. And this was a consortium led by Edison Motors, which is apparently an EV company from Korea that we've really not heard very much about at all. And it turns out there's a reason for that. They did not hit the date for the payment of £169 million outstanding, which would have paid more than two-thirds of Sanyong's creditors, which was the agreement Mm -hmm. that was permitted thanks to the Korean bankruptcy court. So it meant that Sanyong could carry on or start again as a business. Because they haven't made that payment, Sanyong are now looking for someone with a massive checkbook again to please come and help them out. Yes. If you want a rather ugly car company or a car company that makes rather ugly cars, then do apply, please, to Sangyong Korea. But their their UK Twitter social media people are very funny. They are very good. They are definitely worth definitely worth a follow. Yes. <laughs> right. It's the start of the month, Alan. Oh, it is. It's the start of the month. And goodness me, there has been a lot of waffle this month for, for reasons we shall we shall get to. March new car registrations. Uh, there is a decline of 14.3%, making it the weakest March since 1998, with 243,479 vehicles registered. But there is a little bit of good news in all that. It has been the best ever month for battery electric vehicles, with a 78.7% growth, making 39,315 battery electric vehicles registered in the month. Electrified vehicles account for one in three registrations. Notice I said electrified, not electric. The numbers that everyone really, really wants are the new car registrations by fuel you put in your car, which are always collated by Tristan Young of Auto Retail Network, a business information provider to the industry. Uh, So he always splits vehicles down by petrol diesel battery electric vehicles and plug-in hybrid vehicles when you look at it that way petrol has a 67.24 percent market share diesel has a 10.27 percent market share battery electric vehicles make up 15.37 percent and plug-in hybrid vehicles make up 7.13 percent of the market Thank you, Tristan, for doing that. <laughs> yes, we, we do appreciate it every month. I think you, you I think you know we appreciate it as well. Uh, that takes us to the top 10 for the month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in at number 10, the Ford Fiesta. It's first entry into the top 10 for what feels like ages. 
It probably isn't. They were probably in it last month, and I've probably forgotten. So do feel free to not bother correcting me. It's there with 3,890. From memory, that is about the same as number one last month, because last month, uh, last month in February, because February was particularly low. Yeah. Uh, number nine, the Toyota CHR, 3,910. Number eight, the Ford Cougar. Seven, the Kia Sportage. Six, the Ford Puma. Fifth, the Hyundai Tucson, and we're at 4,876 units with the Tucson. Fourth is the Nissan Qashqai. Third, the Vauxhall Corsa. That means that with the aggregate of pretty much three months' worth of regis of sales being gathered into one quarter-end month, the Tesla Model 3 comes in at 6,457 units, and the Tesla Model Y comes in at 6,464 units, both of which are impressive even when divided out over the three months, but you have to remember that that is the sum total of three months' worth of registration. Yep. There. It's because of the wave, everyone. It's Tesla's way of, of keeping everyone guessing until the very end of their financial reporting quarter. Yes. It's not big. It's not clever. It's just a bit dumb. Uh, year to date, by the way, they come, it's the best Model Y and Tesla Model 3 come in at 6th and 7th. Number one is the Vauxhall Corsa, leading by just over a 1,000 units over the Kia Sportage. I think those are the key ones there. Yep. Uh, that brings us to the spreadsheet of, I've not even looked at it, so I can't tell you whether it's red or green yet. Uh, mix. Of mixed colours. There we are. That's a nice thing to have. Okay, I will take us through the more doomy ones, and I'll start at the top. So our Bath down 50%, Audi down nearly 20%, BMW down at nearly 29%. Citroen down 31%, Ford also down nearly 20%, Jaguar down nearly 41%, Jeep down 44%, Land Rover down at 40, uh, 50, sorry, 54%, Lexus down at 23%, Mercedes-Benz down at 29%, Mini down 32%, Nissan down 28%, Seat, getting a, we can see here that all the VW Group companies are getting a right battering, yeah. but they're down 49.5. Skoda is down 39%. Subaru is down 25%. Vauxhall down nearly 19%. Volkswagen down 38%. And Volvo also didn't have a great month, um, down nearly 30%. But virtually everybody has been in... You know, this is the month that is still just semiconductor chip shortages. Mm. Ukraine stuff hasn't come into that yet. Not quite yet. And worth mentioning, despite all the do despite the doom there, that Ford, uh, despite being down nineteen point eight percent, they still have the highest market share in the UK. Yes. Happy smiley news. Alfa Romeo up t almost twenty two percent. Alpine up just over 24%, Bentley up just over 30%, Cupra up just over 60%, Dacia up almost 45%, DS up 31-ish percent, Fiat up 70%. Well done. Is that the highest? No. No. Uh, no. The MG award for high percentages goes to MG. Uh, Hyundai up 21%, Kia up almost 59%. MG up almost 137%, Polestar up almost 136%, almost taking MG's uh, award. Porsche up 42, Sang Yong up 36, 
Suzuki up 24 and other imports up 92.74% because of all the test loads. Just a quick note on the MG figure. Percentage-wise, they've just pipped Polestar. However, mm. last year they registered 3,956. This year, 9,367. So, I mean, proper congratulations to MG there. I know we, we have impressive. joked in the past about how much they've grown, but this is now growth on top of what was at the time big growth. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're almost, just given that figure alone, they're almost, that's almost three times as many MGs as Mazda registered last month. Mm. So they're not, they're not actually a little tiddler anymore. I saw a story from someone, I didn't read it in depth, but saying, is MG the new Hyundai? And you know what? Not unbelievable. Don't think that's a bad shout. Well, not even you know, 1,600 units off between Hyundai and MG. Mm last month anyway so and year to date is some 13,000 yeah about six just under 6,000 between them already so you know not bad not yep. bad at all I, I I think MG are at a stage where they can't be written off and I see they've facelifted the MG5 sorry we're going off on a tangent here but I see the facelifted the MG5 so it looks less like a sort of goodness is that a new Volkswagen <laughs> And actually has its own distinct, starting to have its own distinct look at the front. And the sooner that they can develop that kind of thing and make things not look as much like a Mazda or not look as much like a a Volkswagen is, is going to be good for them. Yep, absolutely. Right, I am going to move us away from new car registrations and into the musical chairs section where people have decided to take up new roles. And let's start with Jaguar Land Rover. Thomas Muller has... Is going to leave a Volkswagen Group and become the executive director of product engineering at JLR. Uh, we need to remember that Nick Rogers left the company at the end of 2021 after being there for seven years. Thomas Muller has been in the industry for more than 20 years, uh, where he's worked with um, Audi uh, and therefore for the VW Group is in research and development of chassis, advanced driver assistance systems, so the stuff I may have mentioned recently in a couple of car reviews, as well as oh, autonomous technology. If everyone's working on autonomous technology, though. Yes, well, this show isn't the place for me to go into that. Oh, thank goodness. Um, JLR said that he's now going to take responsibility for the technical development, hardware, and software of all new JLR vehicles. Jolly good. Also in musical chair news, uh, Thomas Schaefer has been named the new chief operating officer of the Volkswagen brand. That's Volkswagen brand, not Volkswagen group. Uh, he was previously at Skoda, uh, and his role there has been taken over by Klaus Zelmer. He's now chairman of the board of management at Skoda Auto, Auto effective from the 1st of July. Yeah, he comes into effect from the 1st of July. The announcement was made on the 1st of April. And in that time, he's going to work alongside Brandstatter to make sure that there is a smooth handover. Brandstatter on June the 30th goes and takes over the China division, which he'll take over effectively from the 1st of August. But there's this whole trying to make it a smooth transition, seamless and all, the, all these other words. Meanwhile... Schaefer is 
trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. for Zelma when he takes over. So he's, there's, a, there's a lot of, oh, am I, am I supposed to be telling you this or are you supposed to be telling me this? I think it's going to be yes, going on. There's, there's, it, it is sort of, as I say, musical middle-aged German gentleman. Yes. Once again. As always with Volkswagen Group. Looking external. Yeah. I mean, one, <laughs> one day. One day. One day. Yeah. Well, they did that and the people left. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's German companies can be kind of tricky to work for, I think. A- anyway, they've got another little challenge on the side whilst all of this is happening, haven't they, Andrew? Yes, they have. They are going to recall more than 100,000 plug-in hybrids globally because there is a fire risk. Now, the fire risk is, according to the KBA, which is Germany's motor vehicle office, and I'm quoting here, inadequate fastening to the engine design cover can lead to contact with hot parts and subsequently to fire, end quote. It's been reported in 16 cases in Germany, so now they've got to fix it. It hits the Passat, the Golf, the Tiguan, the Arteon, as well as Audi. The VW brand is recalling 42,300. Audi is recalling 24,400, but also Seat and Skoda are affected by this too. Check your local dealer, please. Yes. Next story, a little bit of a change of change of pace. I think so. It doesn't involve German auto executives from start, so <laughs> yes, that's there, there is a change of change of pace. Mazda for a long, long time, well, a long, long time for a few years, have been shipping vehicles from Japan to Europe, and they've been doing it by using as little as little C as they possibly can they've been shipping the shipping the the vehicles to russia and then putting them on trains and shipping them via the trans-siberian railway right the way around and into actually towards towards zeebrugge and down that way to then distribute them from there over here to the uk and around europe they're stopping doing that obviously they can't keep using the train because it passes through russia and there's sort of there's some tensions at the moment in case you haven't noticed that is out but what Mazda are doing is rather now is that they're actually going to ship Mazdas direct to the UK from Japan for the first time ever. They are going to be, be shipping right into Bristol and the Royal Portbury Dock uh, there. So the first shipload uh, has arrived earlier in the week. And this is a major thing. They're going to be receiving a vessel every 10 days with 1,000 to, to, to 1,200 Mazda on board each vessel. I don't know if it's going to speed things up. It might well, actually, no, speed they say things it up. Because does. it doesn't have to go through an extra set, an extra handling, and then reloading onto a ship to then bring it across yep. uh, the channel to, to, to the UK. So I think it certainly lessens the likelihood of damage to vehicles. I think that sounds that sounds pretty good. Mazda are pretty clued up on their logistics around these kind of things. Yeah, it's good. And it's good for one. Bristol as well. It is. Right, I am going to take us to a report from the government now before you switch off or skip forward. This one is actually interesting and important. The Office for Zero Emission Vehicles has worked with uh, Ricardo Energy and Environment to investigate and analyse the life cycles of greenhouse gas emissions from vehicles on UK roads. From this, they have established how many grams per kilometer are produced over the life cycle. Now, the life cycle includes getting the stuff out the ground and into manufacturing, 
the car being used by owners mm-hmm. as well as being shipped to them and it then being recycled at the end of it. So it is the whole gamut because a lot of times you see really pedantic arguments where somebody says, oh, but the the thing about the battery electric or the internal combustion is this, and then someone goes, oh, yes, but then have you talked about how they dig it out of the ground? And, you know, I imagine they're typing yes. with Adenoids. Every, every day I was about <laughs> to say, yeah, exactly that. They've gone through this, and they have established that the battery uh, electric vehicle produces 97 over its life. A plug-in hybrid is 128. The hydrogen fuel cell... Sorry, 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 sorry. 97 and 128 watts. Sorry, not watts, but (laughs) what is the unit you're quoting? Grams per kilometre. This is found... There's two links. One is on the tweet that they sent out where you can get straight to this. And the other link is directly to the report itself if you wish to read that. If nothing else, it has two pages of a glossary for abbreviations and the definitions of those abbreviations which does no harm and also involved in this they look at how any energy is produced so how a car is charged or a battery electric vehicle is charged now how they expect it to be at 2030 and then how they expect it to be at 2050 so they have shown how it will change over the life of the country moving to net zero. Basically, a petrol vehicle is the worst. A hydrogen fuel cell is the second worst. A plug-in hybrid is better than that. And then the battery is the best at the moment. It's interesting. And I, I think it's very interesting at the different time points that they expect. Yes. How things decrease over time, partly because the production goes down, because, of course, there's, there's lots of this, the urban mining uh, and these kind of things that we've talked about in the past where essentially the vehicles are being recycled and reused so you don't have to dig as much out of the ground and that yeah. saves energy and that saves lots of good things. It's a very interesting report. It goes through the methodology very clearly. Uh, it's a mere 62 pages or something. If you're interested in this stuff, as I am, because I need to get out more, it's worth a worth a look through. And it's interesting. It covers different vehicle types as well. So buses and coaches, uh, heavy goods vehicles, etc., uh, etc. Et so, What is so, yeah. really very interesting is how close the plug-in hybrid is to battery. It is, actually. Because we have seen so often so many arguments that say plug-in hybrids are awful. And we know mm. emission analytics have banged the drum for quite a while, saying the quickest way to reduce. So if you're going from petrol to plug-in hybrid, you're dropping 150 grams CO2 mm-hmm. just in the vehicle, which is a huge drop. And like we were talking about last week or the week before, we were saying if you can shift a huge portion of people to plug-in hybrids and then work on moving from the plug-in hybrid down to the full 100%-ness, yeah. that is a good step. It does involve using the plug-in hybrid properly, which... <laughs> discussed in the last review uh <laughs> well yes quite and other people have commented on that since by the way yes no i saw that but, but yeah one of the things that amazes me here is that diesel in theory is cleaner than petrol mm. now obviously this looks at from this measures it from carbon dioxide emissions not 
nitrogen oxides. It's not. It's not, not air nitrogen oxides, not particulates, etc., etc., etc. So obviously, when you're looking at it that way, that's one of the reasons why everybody was told that diesels were cleaner than petrols, was yeah. because it was all about the carbon dioxide. But if you look at this, yes, diesel cleaner than petrol. And if you click through on the link to the Twitter, uh, to the tweet, you will notice all the fundamentalists jumping up and down and saying, but you haven't included cyclists or bicycles. Outrageous. And they've got very shouty in the replies. So <laughs> I've, I've just kind of had it with, with, with that kind of person today. So. I know. So this does not cover bicycles or electric bicycles. It mm. is with purely talking cars, van, buses, and HGVs. Yeah. Really, really interesting piece of research. And some in- interesting outcomes about how some things change over time as well. So things which might not be as good now may should be better in the future uh, is one of the takeaways from there. And that, that, that applies to hydrogen, I suppose. Yeah. And I think it gives us all something to work from as a basis mm-hmm. now. We've got some hard facts to that question that we've had, and people have struggled to come up with answers. I think we now have at least a benchmark and Ricardo always comes across as being a very, a very trustworthy organisation, brand, and, and engineering mm. consultancy across many, many different disciplines. So. Talking of buses, though, do you want to take us into some more good news? Sort of. <laughs> well, yeah, it was good to get when it involves buses. Thirty-one areas across England uh, have been given cash to boost their bus services. That means that people are are standing up and, and saying how great how great buses really are and how they really should be. Uh, specifically, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps saying that buses are the most popular way of getting around in this country, but for too long, people outside of London have had a raw deal. There's there's quite a lot of money going there. Northeast, north of Tyne, there's quite a lot, 163.5 million going that way. West of England, North Somerset, it's 105.5 million. Greater Manchester's getting 94.8 million. West Midlands, 87.9 million. Hertfordshire, 29.7 million. Luton, 19.1 million. And Central Bedfordshire, 3.7 million. So, um, yes, quite large amounts in areas where there are lots of people is how it looks. Yeah, there, there is a bit of a, a backlash to this, though. Mm-hmm, where is. it is not as much as was originally claimed they were going to do, and it is only a small portion of the country overall, Yes, which means it's not going to achieve what the fanfare announcement, which I think we've all become used to in this country now, when the announcement is made and what the realities are, tend to be, unfortunately, different. Yes. Uh, one thing here, for example, um, whilst you're saying it's only a small areas of the country that are going to benefit, uh, only 40% of the authorities which submitted plans uh, are actually going to benefit from any of the funding whatsoever. Yeah. People wanted more to be able to do more, uh, and that's just not been possible so far. Yeah. Right. Two quick ones. I'll start off first, and it is that the Beijing Motor Show has been postponed until further notice due to the COVID-19 outbreak in China. Mm-hmm. As soon as they think they can do it again, they will tell everybody. It was meant to be held from the 21st to the 30th of April. Meanwhile, a motor show has been announced that it should be happening, but we'll wait and see if that's actually the case. And that's a Geneva motor show, which is 
promised to happen in Geneva. So there's a start. They're expecting to run it in 2023. Now, it's worth mentioning the dates that they're saying are the 14th to the 19th of February. That's just over a month earlier than the Geneva show has been traditionally. Well, it's the perfect place to take a partner on a romantic weekend. Geneva, only if you can afford them. <laughs> oh, this autocar article is by Jack Warwick is saying that the global semiconductor shortage also contributed to this year's cancellation as it led to a shortage of interested exhibitors. I'm not sure that's going to be entirely the case. I think that's a convenient excuse. Yes. I think it will be interested to see what happens. Also, about the Qatar element of it, which is supposedly going to be held either this autumn mm -hmm. or autumn of 2023. And I would have hoped if it was this autumn, we would know by now. Mm -hmm. And I suppose they're trying to see how much of disruption the World Cup is. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know. I'm not really going to be holding my breath for it, no. sadly. And I think that whatever appears will be different. I think there's a lot of external factors that could stop it that have mm. nothing to do with people being reluctant to pay whatever horrific fee they will be charged to exhibit. Yes, and also to accommodate and to eat and to everything else. Yep. That brings us to the halfway-ish point, doesn't it? It's the end of the first part, certainly. Yes. Uh <laughs> Which means it is Guilt Minute, that quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and Spring Store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very much as always, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes. Thank you, everyone who does. And thank you, everyone, for the casual mentions and discussions and everything. It's been lovely to see. Yes, I don't know quite what we've been doing that made you casually mention us in nice ways, but thank you, yes. Okay, I think you need to give us some bad news, Alan. Well, yeah. Okay, so a tweet came out at the weekend. Some of you may well have seen it by a chap called René de Boer. And he was saying, no more photos in front of the historic pit building at the Ream Circuit. Stopping along the D27 is officially prohibited following a new ro local rule in force since the 11th of March. Uh, and he did a small story on it in, in Dutch. This obviously became a small topic of discussion on Twitter on Sunday evening, I think it was. And Circuit de Hansgeur have confirmed that that is true. The reason for this. So having followed the Twitter discussion in Franglais, then, well, some of it was in French, some of it was in English. So it was a, a little bit of both. The reason this has been put in place is because at the weekends and at weekend evenings particularly, uh, folk had been meeting up there, uh, so large groups of cars, and people were pratting about, I think is a polite way to oh. put it, and causing a problem. So the problem here was not people just stopping, taking a picture and moving on, and doing all the other things. So this wasn't on the back of someone with a clipboard wanting to ruin somebody's fun. Not necessarily, no. No, no, no. Yeah. no. 
this was the mayor of, of, of Gu, I believe, who has put this in place. Uh, there are ongoing discussions between the Ami de Hansge, de, de Circuit de Hansge, and the mayor and the local authorities. Now, strictly speaking, if it is an event organized by the circuit, by the friends of the circuit, then it will still be possible to stop and to take pictures of groups of vehicles in front of the pits. So it's not a, you shall never stop here ever, ever, ever okay. type rule. Okay, so officially, that is the case. If it is an event, if it is agreed with the, the Ami du Circuit de Hansgeur, then that's cool and it can happen for groups of cars. Twitter account also went on to say that if you're a car on your own, you're probably going to be fine. This rule has really been put in place to stop anarchic assemblies. I love the, the, the literal translation, les, les rassemblements anarchiques. You're probably going to be fine if you're going to turn up, take a picture, move on, or, or turn up. If you want to wander around, then you go, before you get to the pits, you can go off to the right during the day normally there's someone there and there is actually a parking space in beside the new visitor center that they're building in the old sort of building behind the pits so mm -hmm. all is not lost it's not that you can't stop there you kind of can as long as there's not loads of you and you can still visit the pits you can still visit the gift shop and the visitor center and all the stuff the good work that the friends of the circuit are doing but you know if there's loads of you maybe try getting in touch via Twitter or however, via their website, by email in advance and trying to organize it as opposed to just rocking up with 15 cars and expecting mm. people to be quite happy that you're there. Uh, then you'll get in, you'll probably get in trouble. Okay. I imagine for the time being, the police will be going back and forth or somebody will be going back and forth because it's a nice, easy thing to do. Do bear that in mind on behalf of, the the friends of the circuit do go visit do buy a lanyard or a book or a sticker or something to say that you've been because every little bit of that goes back into helping uh the work that all the volunteers are doing there we go end of the public service announcement <laughs> that's why i raced through guilt minute was because really i wanted to give you guilt minute about the the pits at Haska. anyway new new car news andrew yes and if you were not under a rock, you know that Lotus has revealed their new SUV, the Eletra. Is that how they're pronouncing it? I believe so, yes. Yeah, and this is... Okay. It's dividing opinion. We can get out the way that Lotus is building an SUV. Hmm. We will discuss that a little bit in a, in a moment, but... Do we have to? They are building an SUV... So accept that they are building an SUV. You don't have to like it. I think the vast majority of people who are kicking off about it will never be in a position to afford one anyway. So how much difference it makes to Lotus, very limited. But to give some details about this, this is going to be their first four-wheel drive car. Uh, and it's also their first series production electric car. There is a link in the show notes to... Evo's article on this, which is very good. They are going to be using aluminium and steel as well as an 800-volt high-voltage network to make their battery packs because they, they have teamed up with British Volt, let's not forget. Mm -hmm. 
this is the first car that's going to really be using what they develop. They are not overly shouting about their figures yet, but it's, it's things like from 600 brake horsepower, and they're also targeting a 100 kilowatt plus battery, which means that you'll be able to use the 350 kilowatt charging network. Mm-hmm. So you should be able to char- ver- charge most of your battery up in 18 minutes and all that sort of stuff. Um, they're talking about 162 mile an hour top speed and a sub three second <laughs> zero to 62, which is just ridiculous, but also having a range around a 348 miles in ideal conditions. They're going to have tons of tech on there. They're going to have a variety of drive modes and all the rest of it. So this is more luxury, sporty SUV. This is really the pinnacle of the Geely group. Mm-hmm. Until they buy all of Mercedes. <laughs> Until they buy all of Mercedes, in which case it won't be. It'll be the sporty pinnacle. I've been told, by the way, for those of you looking at the pictures and judging it on those, uh, and especially the pictures of the launch, I've been told that at the launch there were many, many coloured lights, and it was very difficult, actually, to make out what it looked like. And the people I spoke to who were there are sure it'll look different under natural light. Okay. Also heard some people who saw a preview of it a little while ago say just how good it actually looks in the flesh when it's under reasonable light as opposed to glare of stage at TV center type lights. Mm-hmm. Be aware of all of that. I'm very interested to see what this is like. I, I can't wait to see it in the flesh. I I think it, yeah. I mean... I think it's kind of cool. The, I, I really actually. like the back end, how they've resolved the back mm. end, although I note there is no rear wiper, which worries me, because whilst that will probably work fantastically at a speed, it's the speed below that that worries me. But anyway, um, they're talking about having like the camera... Cars behind you are losing. <laughs> the camera wing mirrors, a bit like Audi, have developed uh, as well. So how much difference that makes to you, I don't know. Although where they've set the... Appear to have set the screens isn't great. And there's, like I said, there's a ton of tech in there. They're talking about setting it up for... Autonomous driving capability. I don't believe that's going to happen, and things like that. But I, I, it will be very interesting to see if they can execute this one with a level of reliability and also the finish inside, because they're There's aiming po- against right. Porsche, aren't they? Uh, Porsche and Audi, so they have to hit it. Stop for a minute. Just remember, this is actually the first Lotus that's not going to be built at Hethor in the UK. It's going to be built in a dedicated factory in China. I don't, bizarrely, I don't have, I don't think there'll be an issue with quality. Genuinely don't think there'll be an issue with quality. Because of fresh start and... Fresh start. Fresh equipment and everything. Everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that that's going to be the issue that, that we're used to with Lotus. Uh, they also almost brimming over with, with technology. So as has just been pointed out by one of our patrons, it's a Geely with a Lotus badge. I don't have an issue with that. It's built in the, you know, it'll essentially be the same setup as the as as the Volvo XC 
40 that you had. I've got the right size, haven't yes. I? Yes, XT40 uh, that you had the other week. And you the any quality issues with that? Loads of other issues, I know. But no, 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 no. quality it was, issues. It was a nice place to sit. <laughs> exactly. So I don't see that this is going to be any different. No, I would hope not, no. Genuinely, don't don't see that that quality should be a should be a big issue. Now there was uh, there was a couple of interesting conversations on Twitter. Obviously, a lot of people got cross that Lotus are building an SUV, but the the response to that was this long held belief that everybody must build an SUV to survive. Uh, and Anthony Ingram had a couple of conversations with a variety of people, uh, including myself, about well, does Lotus need an SUV to survive because they've been posting profits they've got the giant checkbook in the sky of Geely etc so if you can find that on Twitter do do dig it out because it was it was an interesting discussion I don't want to go into it now but it was an interesting discussion and an interesting counter to the oh well everybody has to build one argument I, I've owned a Lotus SUV was that the Veracross yes what did they do to it uh, all the suspension, twiddled the engine. Okay. All that kind of stuff. Okay. All the stuff that Lotus is good at. Right, well, moving us away from Lotus. I, I, by the way, did not assign the stories tonight. Just want to make that clear. When I mentioned the Toyota GR86 prices announced today from £29,990 uh, here in the UK, there will only be one spec level which looks like it aligns with premium spec in the us not that i've been looking at them there either <laughs> and it comes with a six-speed manual or automatic transmission i saw a couple of these on the road when i was in the us the a few weeks ago looks good guys looks good i notice it retains the same steering wheel as the previous generation actually it's the GT86. Sorry, it's a very familiar-looking steering wheel. The yeah. sad news, though, is that we're only going to be able to get this new for two years. Yes. If you're really interested, get in there quick, because the, the the finance deal looks amazing. Oh, yeah. It, uh, if you finance it for four years, not a lot of money down, uh, 299 a month. I don't have the details in front of me, but those were the those were the approximate yeah. numbers. It was 48 months yeah. finance, which is not silly at all. It's almost 1200 quid less than the cheapest gr yaris get in there get buying them please folks yep buy them new don't just go oh, i'm gonna make the prices come down uh, because that's just lame with that kind of finance deal get on with it sorry yes here I'll endeth look. the lesson i will here endeth the lesson i wish why not <laughs> i wish uh, what else? Oh, other new new car news, uh, more Toyota stuff. I actually did a video, yay, to tide you over uh, until we've done the special edition on the Toyota Igo Cross, uh, which I drove last week in and around Barcelona, quite a lot of in Barcelona. Two and a half minutes, one of our 150 second videos uh, to give you all of the key things, what you need to know about it. You can find that via our website, uh, via the blog section on motoringpodcast.com or at our YouTube channel. Don't forget to like and subscribe, etc. Smash that bell. <laughs> yeah, smash that bell. So in nine months when we do another video, you'll get a notification. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, these things happen. Right, I'm going to take us to the lunchtime read and it's from uh, Arnie's Antics. And it is about the Cannonball. And it was the last race, wasn't it? This was done, the 1979 Cannonball run. And it was all yeah. about the Hal Needham and Brock Yates 
vehicle that was the favourite to win that year and how they came up with the idea, what happened and everything else and how it ties into the movie as well. Yes, and what's happened here is that Travis Bell uh, has built the most screen-accurate copy of the Transcon Medivac ambulance. All of this came out of Wrench Everyday Video by Jared Pink, all about this replica, and because he was twiddling it a little bit just to make it more reliable. That's how I heard about this. It's really good read. Uh, I can recommend um, uh, uh, I can recommend video that goes along with it too. Uh, there's a VinWiki one as well that I haven't watched out. Excellent stuff. Have a read. Good stories. Yep. Very good. Cannibal Run, etc. That means that I am on the list of the week this week. It is from Jalopnik. The only slideshows worse than ones from Autocar uh, happen to be ones from Jalopnik. Uh, Autocar, by the way, doing much better these days on this yes, kind of thing. Yes, thank you, Autocar. <laughs> yes, so this one is 10 cars always get ruined by their owners for various reasons. Andrew, do you have a particular favourite in there? Yes, one that I think really hits this, because they the list ranges from cars that the owners do silly things to all the way through to cars to owners who just don't care and just mm-hmm. want the badge and i'm going to go that end of things and say the bmw 3 series yes i see so many that are um and whilst this is a us specific list there are cars that we all know here in this list and we we can see and we can replace with our own over here <laughs> that fit yes. exactly the same categories and explanations definitely the 3 series see far too many of them unloved these days uh, it's them in the mercedes a class <laughs> just not looked after yeah yeah, I'll 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 give you that. You, there are some driftastic examples around here, and some impressive suspension noises and stuff. Yeah, yeah. but do run through the if list. The there are some good cars thought- in there. There's some that I'm very surprised at that were selected. Actually, mm. um, that I wouldn't suggest is what happens in Europe and the UK. But uh, no. there are some, some some interesting cars, and to see what what people in America do with their cars, particularly the number one. I wasn't expecting that. Oh, I I wasn't hugely surprised by that. Okay. That happens here too. Very much happens here too. That means the end finally is yours, Andrew. It is. And this is, think of it, uh, sort of an extra lunchtime read, but this is the only car that was both a Ford and a Chevy. Mm-hmm. But not only that, it was something else before all that. <laughs> the Suzuki Carry. Yes. So both Ford and Chevy rebadged these, and in one case, stuck a dreadful nose on the front uh, in in the particular it's market. Crash they were protection. In. <laughs> That's crash protection. That is no. Well, on it's a Kai van. Mm, yeah. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then sold it. Relatively speaking. Yeah, and rebadged it and sold it on. Um, and the adverts for them are great. I mean, <laughs> they show in this article. It's genius. So this is from the Autopian. It's a new site, which hopefully will have loads of good and finally stories because it is led by uh, Jason Torchinsky and uh, David Jeep Lopnik. Uh, David Tracy, formerly of Jalopnik 
so and some of the sort of weirder end of the stuff there so lots of great content on there already so this was this was just a little good one for this week um and and hopefully we'll have be robbing lots more content from them sorry sharing lots more of their content yep excellent one that to do read that it is rather good parish notes many parish notes I go 150 video. I think I've already pimped that quite heavily. Uh, Zoom Zoomers this week. Um, yes. Some of the audience who are watching it live just not up to, not up to, up to standard. It's probably you can't screen them. Yeah. And, um, uh, and point out that you shouldn't play the podcast drinking game, which is probably true, to be honest. No, you shouldn't. And last Friday said, Awkward Viewer uh, released a special edition about the Volkswagen Arteon shooting break. Last episode previous to this one. Yep. Anything else we've missed? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think we covered loads tonight, which means that it's time for me to remind you that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know more about Toyotas, but possibly not via the drinking game, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you personally? You don't have to ask me about Toyotas. Uh, you can ask me about other things. Best way to do that is via Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, for those of you who love it, spelt out nice and clearly. Uh, we will both be back very soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.